Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a doctor of veterinary medicine conducts a peer-reviewed DNA analysis of the legendary creature known as Bigfoot, and the findings are shocking and too controversial for the journal. The Sasquatch are no different than, than we are in that they're a hybrid just like we are. They just have more of an unknown type of individual in them than they do human. And I think really it's because the human has been somewhat bred out because of we're the weaker species. This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 866-724-0800. 866-724-0800. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. We're already one week into 2019. How goes it so far? Happy, healthy, and prosperous, I hope. Hey, just a quick reminder that I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM Saturday, Jan 12, and Sunday the 13th. One of my resolutions, I promise to start giving you advance notice when I'm sitting in the air chair on Coast. It's usually twice a month, and I am actually beginning my sixth year as a regular guest host on Coast. We are going to talk Bigfoot for the next 45 minutes. We've sort of tackled this issue from a lot of different aspects. We've had Bigfoot trackers on. We've had uh, witnesses. We've had field researchers and authors. But now, as I say, a slightly different angle. A doctor of veterinary medicine and the president and director of DNA Diagnostics, Inc., a genetics laboratory geared to state-of-the-art genetic testing to talk about the Sasquatch Genome Project. Dr. Melba Ketchum has made a DNA analysis of possible Bigfoot hair samples, which was leaked to the public before the publication of peer-reviewed, her peer-reviewed paper. Uh, uh, Dr. Ketchum attended Texas A&M University, where she received her doctorate in veterinary medicine after five years at the university. And she had a, uh, a veterinary practice until she founded DNA Diagnostics. She's the president and founder as I mentioned, of DNA Diagnostics. That company, established in 1985, has become a leader in all types of DNA testing, including human and animal forensics, human and animal paternity and parentage testing, disease diagnostics, trait tests, animal and human identity testing, species identification and sex determination. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum right here. Dr. Ketchum, how are you? 
I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, uh, Doctor Ketchum. Uh, let's. Uh, this is your first time on the program. I know you have uh, you have talked uh, far and wide about this. I, I um, I've listened to you speak to my colleague at Coast to Coast, uh, uh, George Knapp, on the on the subject, and uh-huh. was fascinated by it. Uh, but for our listeners here, your first time, uh, just yeah. give us a, a little bit of the backstory about. Uh, how the the Sasquatch Genome Project got started and what your your uh, objectives were. Well, it, there was no object, objective at first. I didn't believe they existed, um, so I just kind of backed into this. It wasn't anything intentional. Um, we'd have people send us samples, you know, every year, and we'd just test them for species identity, but we never got anything interesting until oh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago now, uh, whenever. I was asked to do some analysis for, um, uh, at that time, Destination Truth, which was a television show on the Sci-Fi Channel. And they would go around getting samples, and they gave us a Bhutan Yeti sample. Now, there wasn't enough DNA for anything conclusive, but we had non-human hair that gave human DNA, and that shouldn't happen. So uh, about that time, uh, North American Bigfoot Search sent some samples in, and some of them were from eyewitness encounters and we tested them also and once again it was non-human hair giving human test results on mitochondrial dna and that's the maternal or the mother's lineage right mitochondrial right yes and uh that like i say human hair is obvious you can tell it and this was not it looked like you know kind of like wavy horse mane hair it was you know much more coarse so the mitochondrial dna was saying what it was. It's 100 percent modern human. Modern human, and the the um, there's the my, nuclear DNA. The nuclear DNA, which would be the the, the, the was, male, the as father. We progressed into the pro- process uh, when we started getting that. We got a lot of unknown sequence, in addition to um, some human sequence. So it was a mixture. We call it a mosaic of human and unknown DNA. Now, as a skeptic, you mentioned initially you did not believe. No. When you started no, getting I, these... I laughed at... I would just laugh when I'd get these samples. We, we, it was a joke around the lab. And when you started to get these results, mitochondrial DNA showing... Well, then I got human. curious. I had no idea what I was dealing with, but I got curious because I knew they shouldn't be. And we did a lot of forensic testing, so, you know, we knew how to keep the contamination. You know, you wash the hair thoroughly uh, with chemicals and, um, you know, vortex at, at huge thousands of RPMs per minute. Uh, with this, these little vortexers that you have, and, and uh, you know, it shakes any excessive DNA off other than just what's on the hair, uh, you know, what is part of the hair, I should say. But and when, so excuse me, Dr. Go. Ketchum, but when you're receiving samples from third party out in the uh, out in the field, how then can you assure its uh, its providence? I guess. Uh, well, the thing is, it doesn't. This is the whole point of DNA testing. You can pull any DNA from anywhere. And pretty well identify it unless it's something that hasn't been seen before. That's the whole point of testing it. When, when you do species identification, uh, which is done with the mitochondrial DNA, it tells you what, what the source of the DNA was. But it can't be tainted or manipulated by someone before they bring it to you. Well, the only thing they can do is, is you know, tell me it's a, a cat and we test it. It turns out to be dog and we say, no, it's a dog. Right. Right. I mean, there's, it's going to show what it is, regardless of, of what kind of sample or where you get it. I mean, you know, you could you could 
go anywhere and get any kind of DNA sample and you not even know what it is. And, and when you run the species identity test on it, it'll tell you what it came from. Now, when you say the mitochondria... Or it'll tell you if there's more than one species in there, too. Right. SasquatchGenomeProject.org, the website. Let me crib from that website. It has been a long and tedious battle to prove that Sasquatch exists. We've had the proof for eight years now, but building enough data to convince mainstream science has taken a lot of time. Trying to publish took almost two years. It seems mainstream science just can't seem to tolerate something controversial, especially from a group of primarily forensic scientists and not famous academians, aligned with large universities, even though most of our sequencing and analysis was performed at just such facilities. We encountered the worst scientific bias in the peer review process in recent history. I'm calling it the Galileo effect, she writes. Several journalists wouldn't even read our manuscript when we sent them a pre-submission inquiry. Another one leaked our peer reviews. We were even mocked by one reviewer in his peer review. We finally found a new journal that accepted our paper and had it peer-reviewed using blind peer reviews, which we passed. However, we had to acquire this journal when they backed out of publishing our manuscript five minutes before it was going to go live in order to keep our passing peer reviews obtained by this journal. We chose to do this rather than spend another five years just trying to find another journal to publish and hoping that decent, open-minded reviewers would be chosen. We renamed the journal as per our agreement, de novo. The new journal is aimed at offering not only more choices and better service to scientists wanting to submit a manuscript, but also reviewers and editors that will be fair, unlike the treatment we received. Lastly, we have adhered to all of the standards set in the link below for for, um, author-owned journals. And uh, you can click on that link. It's called uh, publicationethics.org. There's a big, long uh, URL there. And again, that can be found on the homepage at sasquatchgenomeproject.org. I I read that, uh, your words, uh, Dr. Ketchum, just to give people a quick uh, sort of understanding uh, of the obstacles uh, that you faced in trying to uh, to publish these studies and to give, to illustrate something that I've long maintained, and that is how politicized the the whole peer review uh, process is. That's considered sort of the gold standard of a study, that it gets published in a peer review, uh, but not necessarily so. So at what point did you decide you had enough information, it was time to go, to go public with this? Give us the timeline there. Oh, well, it's probably about four or five years ago now. Um, we had a lot of we had sequenced a lot of different uh, points on the nuclear genome, and we had the mitochondrial we had whole genomes from the mitochondrial DNA, and we had you know tons of samples. We had over a hundred samples in the study, and we went to nature with it because it, it is a nature worthy. I mean, you know, a new species and all, you go to your bigger journals. Plus, right. it had to be a multidisciplinary journal because we used more than just the DNA. We used several different disciplines, including electron microscopy, histopathology, and other disciplines in order to, to prove our point. Um, anyway, uh, at first, the reception seemed cordial enough, and um, they sent the paper out for peer review. And they turned it down the first time. The reviewer one more or less passed it, said he thought there was something there, but it needed corrections. Well, we, and I talked to the editor. The editor, editor basically told me that, you know, if you do, ev- we'll take it back again if you'll do every single thing the peer reviewers ask you to do. 
Well, the first one liked it. The second one, uh, he didn't read it because he asked for whole mitochondrial genomes, and we already had them in the paper. So he didn't read the paper. Obviously. The third one uh, made a, a crack to the effect. Uh, now, his English was not good, but it, it was obvious what he was saying. He says, you mean to tell me Caucasian woman go run around in woods with unknown hominid and have baby and give there too? I don't think so. Hmm. But that's what <laughs> the that DNA clearly shows. <laughs> and then the fourth one said, I want one, two, three, four, five. So we went back. We did everything Re Reviewer 1 wanted. Um, we did everything Reviewer 2 wanted plus... Uh, you're supposed to answer them, and those peer reviews are on our website, so you can read how ludicrous they are, because they've got my answers to it, referring to the different parts of the paper where the the stuff they were requesting was already in the paper, uh, the data and all. Uh, and then the third one, I mean, there wasn't a lot I could say to him, because he just said, you know, he just mocked us, uh, but we tried to address it as, as, you know, professionally as possible. And then uh, the fourth one, we went in and we did everything he asked us to do. So basically, when, when the reviewers give you a list of things to do, and you meet every one of them, generally they publish your paper. But when we, and they asked for whole genomes, which we went back and got three of them, not just one. They asked for a whole genome. We did three. Uh, we came back uh, about a year later, because it took us that long to, to add the genomes and all. Um, and this time, they sent them to the same reviewers, which was not very, didn't make me very happy. But um, they did it. And the first one suddenly says he's not qualified to review it, and he'll just accept what everybody else says. The second reviewer still didn't read the paper because he said we had no materials and methods when they were in the supplemental data per the editor that told me to put it there because the paper was so long. Uh, he also kept referring to it as ancient DNA, which it's not ancient DNA. It was fresh-dried DNA or fresh-frozen DNA, whatever the case may have been. So clearly the game is rigged. and uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. And the third one just said he didn't believe it. It had to be contaminated. And the fourth one wouldn't review it again. And so uh, the upshot of this is uh, you finally fo found uh, a journal willing to publish, but five minutes before it was to go live... Yeah, they, they backed they, out. They because backed they out. basically said it would kill their journal if they published something like this. So you bought the journal? Yep, basically. And, and published. Well, the investor, Wally Herson, bought it. So you published? Yes, and we published with their repeat with the reviews that the journal the other journal got because we didn't want any part of getting the reviews ourselves. We wanted it to be a, a completely unassociated with me or with you know our group of scientists because we wanted it to be fair, and we got that. And as a result, um, you know, Zubank Zoo, actually published our name that we requested, which was Homo sapiens cognatus. That's what you're calling this? Yes. That's what you're calling Sasquatch. That's the scientific it means, name. It means blood relatives, because they are. They're, they're part human. Now, when you say the mitochondrial DNA was clearly 100% human female... Yes. ...but the nuclear DNA was undetermined? What does that mean yes. exactly? It means that the way you determine things uh, nowadays is there are these huge databases of sequence from people that have sequenced different... Uh, different DNA from all over the world and all different types of organisms. And you do what's called a blast search where you plug in your sequence and search against all these millions and millions of, of sequences. And it, what it matches closest to is what will come up when you search it. And so, you know, normally you'll get hits, you know, off of whatever it is or whatever it's closest to, but we were, we were <laughs> getting no hits at all. It was completely unknown, which was 
you know, blew our minds. <laughs> I can fact, imagine. I, a, I can't imagine. I outsourced. I didn't believe it. And so, and I knew that, you know, nobody's going to believe one lab. So we assembled 12 different labs. And we sent these samples out as blind studies. They didn't know what they were testing. They thought they were just testing humans. Right. And I even have an email on the website where one of the PhDs wrote me and said, you know, this doesn't match anything. Uh, have you discovered a new species? I have that actually on the website. People can go read the letter. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. That's right. We've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. And check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Your support is greatly appreciated. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Dr. Melba Ketchum, head of the Sasquatch Genome Project, is here. Dr. Ketchum, have you had personal encounters with a Sasquatch? multiple times. Uh, there's a female that I really liked that she she's just very sweet and likes to, you know, we've had some interaction and it's been a lot of fun. At, at what point, um, sorry, at what point in your journey here uh, did you encounter Sasquatch? Approximately two years before the paper published, um, I kept getting calls from people and, and they refer to themselves as habituators. It's people that interact with them. And, you know, when they first started calling, I thought, this was crazy. I didn't believe, you know, what was going on. Uh, but some ones that live not too far from me kept kept on until I went out with them to an area where uh, where they were, and I actually saw five the first time that I was out with people. I saw one in daylight, and then you know I saw five at night. I don't know if the one was still one of them. So, um, you know, it was a really interesting day, and it was mind-blowing, to say the least. And after that, then I ended up with a, a lease site where they live, and I've had quite a bit of interaction with them. It's been, it, you know, it can be quite entertaining at times. And, and what part of the, uh, the, uh, the country is this again? In Texas. In Texas. Yeah, anywhere where there's heavy forests, there's a lot of them. They live right under our noses, but they're able to conceal very well and you know, therefore, most people aren't even aware of them, even though they're there. Give me a, a physical description. Height, weight, physical features. Uh, the first one I saw the full body on was eight feet tall because we marked it on the tree that he was standing in front of. He was very square built. Um, his face was not haired, but it was at night, so I could just see the moonlight shining on his face. I couldn't make out his features real well, regrettably. But, you know, it was clearly what he was. His shoulders were very broad. Uh, I mean, you know, like a linebacker, except more so. And he probably weighed about five or six hundred pounds, if I had to guess. 
and uh, matted hair, fur? How would no, you describe it? No, no. Neat. Um, some of them are matted, but, you know, most of them take pretty good care of themselves. And, you know, they can be very uh, well-groomed. How about their teeth? Do they have canines? Yeah, some of them have uh, canines that are a little bit, I want to say fangs, not really quite that bad. But uh, we've got a picture of one on the Sasquatch Genome Project site. And she's got little canines. But her, their teeth are quite similar to ours, actually. And, um, you know, like I say, she's a good representation. Um, they, Some of them, though, have hair on their face. Some of them have partial hair, like the patty film. Some of them have no hair on their face. It just depends on the individual. All right, let me uh, uh, hand it over They're again. They're like people. There's a million of them. Seriously, a million of them? Well, I mean, you know, every. It's, figuratively, but okay. I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of them worldwide. That's remarkable. D- they def- there's definitely been crossbreeding. It's in the historical record in a large way, uh, especially in Native American and uh, First Nation peoples, where oftentimes their maidens would be stolen uh, by the Sasquatch, and sometimes they would escape and they'd come back with a, a hybrid baby. And in Russia, there's the, the famous uh, story of Zaina and Quit, where uh, it was a female that was captured, and you know she had offspring uh, from human males. Um, it seems that you know they're not. Some of them aren't the healthiest. Others are. It just kind of depends. I think they're different enough from us that sometimes the the offspring are not as don't live as long as they could, or you know maybe aren't quite as healthy as as they could be, but. Um, others have gone on and had families and lived normal lives. And uh, the the hybrid, the again, the mitochondrial DNA showing uh, human female. Yes. Uh, what do you believe then? Although it's undetermined, what are we talking about here in terms of the uh, the, the the male counterpoint, the uh, the father? Is it Cro-Magnon man? Is it uh, Neanderthal? What is it? Well, it, it, it didn't appear to be Neanderthal or Denisovan because they, you know, we didn't get hits with that like we should have uh, if it had been. Uh, so it's going to be an unknown species for sure. Um, one that's not been, you know, sequenced at this point. Something like Gigantopithecus? You know, they're or? getting these all the time. I mean, there, there's, if you read any of the science that comes out over the last, you know, two or three years, there's just like the Denisovan individual out of Russia. Um, that type of hominid actually has unknown DNA that they don't know where it came from. Um, you know, human beings are hybrids of Neanderthal and Denisovan for the most part. Uh, only the uh, African population tends to not be. Um, but the any, the Caucasians have up to, you know, three or so percent Neanderthal. I mean, really, the Sasquatch are no different than, than we are in that they're a hybrid, just like we are. They just have more of an unknown uh, type of, of individual in them than they do human. And I think, really, uh, it's because the human has been somewhat bred out because of we're the weaker species over the years. Right, right. And uh, and how far back does this go? Is it 15,000 years? Did I read correctly? Well, it depends on which of the genomes, I mean, which of the, the mitochondrial genomes you're looking at. Uh, we have some as young as 13,000 years. We, I think the oldest one was 26,000 years as far as the, um, you know, when that particular um, haplotype came into, into existence. 
and and how many um, how many species or, or subspecies are there uh, of of Sasquatch uh, based on well, your there's some studies. there's some generalities. I mean, there are some variants, but you know, look at human beings. We have a lot of variants too. We have all our different races, and it's kind of the same thing with Sasquatch. I mean, it's like uh, down south they're they're called skunk apes, and they're a little bit smaller a lot of times and a little more primitive looking and. You know, Pacific Northwest, you get some some really large ones. Of course, I mean, we've got some large ones around here too. So, can't say it completely, but there are different different variants. We were talking about uh, numbers of uh, you know the different uh, I guess species differentiation uh, in in different parts of uh, the United States. Now, what size? What what? How many um, adults, Sasquatch adults, would be required for a for a viable? Population, a viable breeding population, in your estimation. I mean, there's thousands of them, so there is a viable breeding population already. Okay, so uh, at, at least we're talking about in the thousands. Oh, um, huge! Yeah, high thousands. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, one location alone, uh, just a very small area. I know there were nine. There's eleven at another. I mean, you know, we're talking, you know. There's thousands of them. There's no danger. They're not endangered. All right. What is the problem with the scientific community to embrace these findings? For example, back in the uh, the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, we didn't have sort of scientific confirmation of the existence of, I, I believe it was the lowland or the mountain gorilla. Uh, this, uh, you know, up until this point was some, you know, legendary, fabled creature. Uh, however, when we had that scientific evidence it was re, you know it was embraced and accepted as a self-evident what is the what is the the stumbling block here for the scientific community why won't they get behind this i think because there's such a stigma associated with it with all the hoaxing that's gone on over the years and the fact that nobody has has uh, brought forward a viable body well i mean there's been bodies but the government has taken them so um, it's like, oh, well, you know, we can't really see it, touch it, feel it. So we're just, and these people have hoaxed it. So everything has to be a hoax about it. And that's just not true. I mean, there's there's literally, I would bet, 100,000 sightings over the, the over North America. I know one organization has over 30,000 reports that they've cataloged. So, you know, I mean, that many people can't be wrong. You mentioned uh, that, that that bodies have been found. That's always yeah, the big... there have been. How and, do we know, you know this? It's been a cover-up. It really has. But how, do you have this on good authority? I mean, how do you know? Yeah, I do have it on good authority. Can you expand on that a little bit? Are you able to? Well, I've talked to a couple of government officials that came clean with me. I can't go any further with their names or anything, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> they have bodies. Uh, do the, one of the the, um, the 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 questions that people often ask is you know why don't we find more bodies? Uh, well, do they, they bury, bury their dead? I was going to ask, do they bury their own dead? Yeah, they do. They do. They take care of things. So, um, you are they? Know, they they don't want to be found. They don't want to really be bothered with us. And I don't blame them. I mean, actually, they've got a better lifestyle than we do because all they you know they they live in a more or less idyllic society in some ways. Um, they don't, you know, have the, the all the difficulties we do or the stress that we do with our existence. Can they become aggressive? Yes, there are some bad ones. There are some cannibals. 
Interesting. And you only have to go as far as the missing 411 books to, to read about some of that. What about other types of samples aside from hair? We received all different kinds of samples. We had saliva, we had hair, we had uh, urine, we had... Um, we've got bones that we're getting ready to work on now. We've been raising money to, to uh, have genomes done on... Uh, skeletal samples of giants that, we, that may or may not be related to Sasquatch, as well as some more Sasquatch uh, remains that we have, you know, alleged Sasquatch remains, like from the Zeta and Quit uh, Russian samples. We have them. We want to get those whole genomes on them and what have you. So we've been working very hard to and diligently to raise enough money to get that done. Dr. Melba Ketchum, uh, who is with the Sasquatch Genome uh, Project, and she's made a DNA analysis of uh, possible Bigfoot hair samples. I say possible. You would say 100% definite. Correct, Melba? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I'm quite sure what we have there. Um, it's mammalian hair. It's, um, you know, some of our samples came from eyewitness sources. So that adds a lot of credibility. Uh, in, in, are you able to uh, break down the mitochondrial DNA to determine, uh, for example, uh, the, the the race? Uh, are we talking about um, uh, Native American? Are we talking about what? Well, it was a combination of a lot of different ones, um, but most of them had origins uh, back in the Middle East um, or Europe. Uh, but, of course, you know, the Middle Eastern types are older as they spread into Europe, so they all have kind of a root race of of the the T2s, which are Ts and T2s, which were Middle Eastern types. Um, we had, I think, you know, three or four Native American types. We had, um, I think, three black haplogroups, but the rest... And we kind of wondered if maybe, since they came from the south of the U.S., if maybe they were a hybrid from potentially uh, slaves that might have uh, escaped into the wilderness and, and were captured by them and, you know, ended up having offspring. Because uh, we don't know when the hybridization occurred on these, obviously. So, um, but generally the Middle East seems to be the most prominent root source of all of these because even the Native American samples came from those at one point. Now, uh, let me ask you about the Patterson-Gilman film which is kind of the, uh, I call it the Sapruder film of, uh, of sort of the Sasquatch, uh, uh, the Sasquatch arena. Uh, is that, in your estimation, legitimate, uh, or is it a hoax? I believe it's legitimate for a number of reasons. Uh, one, whenever you look at it closely, you can actually see she's got a muscle hernia on her right thigh, and it moves when she walks. And that is not something that somebody would think to fake. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of, her gait is different from a human. There's been some very good work done on analysis of the gait, and it, it, it just can't be reproduced, plus the size on top of it. Um, there's, there's just a lot of different reasons that I believe it's real. Uh, of course, once again, you've got all the conspiracy theories and people that have tried to, you know, say it's a hoax and what have you. But there's a lot of science, um, you know, some, there's been some documentaries even that have done some really nice work of of showing how the locomotion is completely different than, than a person's, as well as, um, you know, you've got um, this muscle hernia that everybody kind of overlooks for the most part. And uh, to me, that was very telling because, you know, that's something that you can see the muscle moving as she walks uh, under there. It's a, where there's a tear in the 
covering of the muslin allows it to bulge. It allows it to bulge through. To me, uh, one of the things that's very compelling uh, is it, it, it does look very authentic. And if anyone has seen any of those cheesy B movies from that era in the '60s, with the you know the gorilla that escapes oh, yeah, the circus, they didn't have the technology. They back did either. not have those kinds of. And and I believe there was a there's a Hollywood special effects uh, designer who just completed a seven year investigation, and he concluded that it is authentic as well. Yes, uh, you know, I, I now I've I've kind of followed that, and you know, I'm in a hundred percent agreement that, you know, I've, and and plus I've I've seen them, and you know, some of them look like that. They have the, you know, the little cheeks showing, but you know, the rest of their face is here. That's back to the variation with them. Uh, if this is all true, and and uh, you are you know one hundred percent certain, this would would have to constitute one of the greatest scientific discoveries of all time. Well, we think it is, but, you know, like I say, we have so many naysayers and so many haters out there that have, you know, torn things down that I'm to the point that, you know, it just, it is what it is. And and, and so what is the next step then for you? I mean, how, what else needs to be, what I, uh, you know, T's need to be crossed and so forth? What, what, what well, we want to do some more testing on our, on our skeletal samples, on our giants and cone heads and what have you, because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Bigfoot, have you know the pointed heads um not only that but um we want to to go forward with um you know trying to compare and see you know if there's anything in common there and and plus we've got some more sasquatch samples that i would like to get some confirmation genome zone um the more the better so you know we're still we're still in the process like i say we're raising money to to test some samples, we've got about 20 samples, and you know we've raised enough to test a few. But we want to try to get all of them tested, so we can you know compare everything at once, and you know basically kind of get to the bottom of all of it. Uh, would you be adverse uh, to a humane live capture of? Uh, I would be absolutely adverse to it. You would. How would you like to be captured and poked and prodded and stuck and photographed? No They're people. That's that's a, that's a that's a fair a fair point certainly. Uh, but but is there not a humane way? No. No. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to be darted and studied. Would you? Well, I'm just wondering if it would lead to an acceptance of this reality. Uh, then perhaps we could then begin to work on how do we protect these creatures. They really don't need our protection. They're able to avoid us to a very large extent. And, or else we'd already had everything that we need as far as, as you know, body and everything else. Um, so I just, you know, I don't, I'm not too worried about them. I mean, as many crazies as there are out there hunting them now, literally trying to kill a specimen, um, and they're not having success at this point, uh, I'm not too worried about it. I think that, you know, they're, I've seen what they can do. I can see how they can blend in and and you know you can walk right up to one and not know it's there practically it's like a special forces soldier in full camo that knows what they're doing you walk right past him and never know he's there well they're the same way is this is this something that is developed uh through through evolution or do they possess some some particular type of skill uh they have abilities i don't understand can you give me an example and i've just seen them go away so quick that you know, it's just not normal. Hmm. I mean, they, they just, they're not, they have abilities humans don't. Let's put it that way. 
why they're so elusive. Get yeah. by with a lot of things that we don't. Yes, so something that's on the order of eight feet tall, five or six hundred pounds, uh, and able to, for the most part, you, you know, um, avoid detection. It, it is remarkable. But they can do it, and I've seen it. And they just, it, it's amazing. It, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing. Uh, and so I under, that's why I don't worry about them like I used to. Before I knew very much about them, I was constantly worried about them. And I, and I do want them protected for a number of reasons, not only because they're a type of people and we need to leave them alone. They're leave, they leave us alone. Let's leave them alone. Do they leave us alone? Do we need to be fearful? I'm sorry, what? Uh, well, you say they leave us alone, but do they necessarily? I mean, do we have anything to be concerned about when we go walking in the woods? I don't encourage anybody to go walking in the woods by themselves because there's other things besides Sasquatch to worry about. This is true. And all, most of the Sasquatch will never bother you. They'll just avoid you. It's You know, there's certain hot spots where there's been some bad activity, usually up in the mountains and some pretty desolate areas. Um, you know, but for the most part, you know, 90% of them are going to leave you alone and stay away from you, and you'll never know it. Uh, you know, the most you'll get just about usually if you do go in the woods is a kind of a creepy feeling that somebody's watching you. We hear a lot about uh, th- th- this tremendous odor uh, associated well, they with... Well, they have it and they don't have it. They can control it. I have experienced that. It's a scent gland? No, I don't think it's a scent gland at all. It's something that they can... They can change it, though. It's strange. Um, but, you know, they, they do have an odor... Uh, sometimes I think it's because they've physically been in contact with, you know, think it's their hygiene or does, you know. Other times it's it's kind of interesting whenever you have one that smells more like flowers. So it's it's not a consistent thing. Um, although I would say the most common smell you get is that of old dead garbage with a little bit of Otis skunk on top of it. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh- now, has this essentially taken over your uh, taken over your life? I mean, do you have t- time to uh, to run DNA di- diagnostics for other purposes, or uh, have you been well, totally we, consumed by this? We lost a lot of business when we did this, mm-hmm. um, so you know we're not as large as we were thanks to my stupidity in, in going after this. Uh, I didn't realize the repercussions that it would have, and the fact that you know it would discredit me as a scientist by just doing a legitimate scientific study. Does it, do you regret uh, it? Do you regret this? Yeah, I regret it. I I'd never do it again. I just want to get finished with it. And put it behind you. Uh, is that even possible? I mean, how do you... Well, I don't know if it's possible because the haters just don't give up. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been a big disappointment. It really has. Because I thought it was, it was so exciting at first that we had found a new species and, and one that was actually a, a, a blood relative about was living at the same time we are and that was huge and uh, to have it so poorly received and and what have you and and to be laughed at by my peers is, has not been fun and you know yeah i regret it i was naive i didn't think that would happen i thought if you did good science it would you know go smoothly out there well uh dr ketchum uh, for what it's worth i think you're incredibly courageous and uh, I applaud you, and uh, I wish you great success. Uh, how can we help? Uh, give us an assignment. Well, an assignment would be to help us get these genomes tested, get them all done, because, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, we need a type specimen. They want to go out and kill once they have a type specimen. Well, for instance, if these giant samples we have, 
uh, turn out to be, you know, in line with what we've already got genetically, we have a type specimen, and that will really nail it. And the same with um, Design and Quit. If you know, if they turn out to truly be Sasquatch and Sasquatch hybrid, then we'll be able to want to hear our skulls that came from these, and we have a type specimen once again, which you know makes it a lot more um, difficult for the scientific community to. Ignore. All right, so people can go to uh, sasquatchgenomeproject.org, and there is a, uh, a funding tab they can click on and help out? Yes, yes. And, you know, like I say, because we, we also have, like I said, quite a few coneheads from Peru, the elongated skull people. And, like I say, we're interested, my original interest in them was because, uh, once again, a lot of the Sasquatch have similar head shape. We've got a variety of samples, and, you know, we need to see if they're interrelated or not. If nothing else, I think we'll get some very interesting findings. Indeed, indeed. Dr. Ketchum, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's in store on episode 168 of Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, a journalist encounters real-life citizen superheroes. So I go to this park, and I'm kind of pacing around. It's cold outside, and all of a sudden, there he is, walking towards me, wearing a full-on costume, a mask, and gloves, and a shirt with his logo on it. And I can't describe that moment because it's like, wow, this is for real. Until then... I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 